Good morning. My husband and I are the pastors of the church, and we are so glad you're here. And um, hope you guys have a great time this morning. So, I know I'm a little nervous about it. You know, I have been. It's been about a month, I think, since I've preached, and um, two months, maybe. Okay, whatever. It's been a long time. Thank you. Anyway. Um, I just got back from moving our fourth daughter back to the University of Albuquerque of New Mexico. And then before that, we were doing missions in India. So it's been fun. While we were um, traveling to India, we had a little layover at Frankfurt, um, Germany. And, you know, when you get to board the jet, they have a lineup of newspapers, you know, the typical New York Times and, um, North, you know, Wall Street Journal. Those ones are really boring. I wouldn't those up but anyway some of you wouldn't that's great but then there was this other one there was international newspapers and there's one called the times of india and you know we're heading to india that'd be kind of cool to see what's going on in india before i get there so i picked up july 24 2010 um, newspaper the times of india and i was really intrigued because right there in the front there was an article about um, some upset homemakers and you know i'm a housewife myself so i thought well, i'd like to see what upsets women in India. So I wanted to read the article. And, uh, well, it was particularly intriguing because apparently they took a census not that long ago in India. I'm assuming it's probably the 2010 census. And um, there was some categorizing going on uh, where they clumped housewives as others. That's what they did. And this is a quote from the article. Surprisingly, the description of homemakers as part of the non-productive category has so far gone unnoticed. And what that meant was that when the census occurred, the census taker would go to the house and he'd say, okay, how many people are here? Um, how many of them are mailed? Are any of them employed? And okay, you have one man, okay, and how old is he? Okay, he's 27. He's employed, yes, he's a farmer, all right. Do you have children? Yes, how many? Well, we have a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, okay, any Females, yes, we do have a female adult. What's her occupation? She's a stay-at-home mom. I'm a housewife. I stay at home. Okay, thank you very much. Now, that woman made her mark in the census as others. And what the article did was disclose what the others were. The others were beggars, prisoners, and prostitutes. I was like, well, I think I'd be a little upset about that, too. <laughs> and apparently this was going on for a while, so they hadn't really noted that this was going on. So I sat back on my seat, preparing myself for the last 10 years of the flight, 10 hours of the flight to India, thinking, welcome to the worldview of women of India. I thought, wow, I'm really in for a culture shock. So how does a nation get here? How does things like this happen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for um, my church family. I just love her so much. I've missed you all. But I thank you that you put such a love in my heart for the body of Christ, and particularly this local body. And I thank you, Father, that it's reciprocated with one another. Father, I pray, the Holy Spirit, that you would empower me with words that are going to be impactful to um, this church body, to your children that you love. And I pray, Lord, that you would be delighted by our time together. Open our hearts, Lord, to hear what you are trying to do in us as we think about worldviews and where we fit in, in the scheme of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so now, 
Joy mentioned we've been looking forward to this sermon for a month. So I fervently, I mean, just crazily been studying for years for this sermon. So this is a, this is a, since I was 18 to a um, 53-year sermon. So you can imagine how difficult it would be to put all of my passion about this topic in 35 minutes. It's just not going to happen. But I tried, and I came out with 35 pages of sermon notes. Now, you need to remember that usually they're only like 20, 21. So I was a little concerned. Priscilla told me, she said while I was there visiting, you know, helping her move, she said, Mom, why do you have to do it all in one day? You know, why don't you take your time? So I said, yeah, that's a good idea. And that did help me preparing, but when I got to 35 pages for today, that was really scary. And I thought, I am going to drive you guys to tears with this thing. So I, I just, this morning at 5.30, I'm still thinking through this, and I just felt the Holy Spirit said, I will show you where to stop. I said, well, good, when? And he says, okay, turn to page, and he told me where to look. And I said, okay, page 17, we're stopping on page 17 today. So that's pretty exciting. So I think we're going to be able to make it. But he wanted me to share with you a little bit about my story in order for this to make sense in the series of Colossians. We've been in a series of Colossians for a while, and we got stopped about chapter 4, verse 1, and then we were going to backtrack a little bit to put the magnifying glasses on some verses. But, you know, I got saved when I was 18, and it was a radical conversion. I mean, just completely radical. I had a literal vision of Jesus. And I was so completely transformed that I, who was working very hard to be, um, I was pre-med, and I had full scholarship to go to University of Southern California. It's a private institution, USC. It's a big, good school, great medical school. Okay? So I was going to go down that track. That was who I was and what I was going to be. But after I got saved, something changed. I couldn't any longer justify living that kind of a life for myself. And so I ended up at Westmont College. I transferred. I did go to USC for a semester and just thought, I can't do this. So I went to, uh, transferred to Westmont College, which is a Christian liberal arts college. And I did what I loved. My new love was scripture. So I became a biblical studies um, major, and then my minor was in Greek. And I had the best time. I just couldn't believe sitting in class getting to do my favorite thing, which was study the Word of God. So from that point on until now, I've been struggling with the topic of women and the place of women in the body of Christ. And what's really weird is when you get to the vineyard, and that was in 81, so some time had passed, I saw women doing things that I thought they weren't supposed to be doing. They were giving words of knowledge. They were um, leading in ministry. They were saying prophetic things. They were saying deep things of God. And I just didn't know you could do that and be a woman. And so it was a big turning. And back about 81, Randy and I sincerely said, you know what, we need to look at the topic of women. And, um, which was a good thing because those who don't know, I have five daughters. So it's a good thing we figured this out before they started coming and we had to figure out what to do with them, not do with them. So this is like a big deal to both Randy and I. If you know Randy, Randy is such an advocate of women. And I don't think it's just because of his five, because it started with me. He rooted for me. 
and he always would push me to do better and to do more and you go with the calling of God in your life Clara don't let the culture stop you and he's been a wonderful husband to have during this time now let's take a pause there I want to take you to another nation and another time okay so just imagine that you just stepped outside and it is kind of hot and the first thing you notice are smells you know we're particular about smells deodorant toothpaste wash mouth you know our hair we're particular about smells in the states but now we're going to smell some new smells we smell human sweat we smell manure cow donkeys horses okay we smell smoke something's burning doesn't smell very good but something's burning we smell exotic spices now those who went to India think I might be describing India I'm not okay then you walk down this dirt road and you see a man bow-legged man sitting down on the ground and he's talking and saying things and there's a crowd of men standing around him listening to his every word and this is what he says quote there is no Hades we have no fear of desolate aftermath instead what we have to fear is that if we live our lives in wrongdoing or cowardice Zeus might send us back here as a woman anybody know who this great person was very close he was a disciple of his okay that was his master Plato yes good oh you guys are awesome okay so yeah this was Plato his teaching and he quoted Socrates as saying being born a woman is divine punishment since a woman is halfway between a man and an animal so I wonder if that's where we got the whole idea of evolution we were kind of in the in-between stage it would be hard to estimate the influence of Plato's teaching okay now one expert in history said he is probably the most quoted philosopher one series of footnotes on Plato is what the history of philosophy is all about now Aristotle who Daniel mentioned was a disciple of Plato and this is what he said the female is a monstrosity a deformed male a deformity which occurs in the ordinary course of nature now in Athens about 640 BC to 561 BC there was a guy named Solomon he was the first influential political leader he was most likely homosexual he contributed to the life of women by passing laws on prostitution and Solomon's prostitutes were quote civil servants of sex and what he would do is he actually made sure that these prostitutes brought money into the government he taxed them basically now one of the ancient Greeks writers said this you Solomon, seeing that the state was full of randy young men bought some women and put them in certain places where they were to be public and made available to everyone I don't know about you but my heart is starting to feel grief here they stand there uncovered take a good look at them boy don't be deceived are you satisfied ready so are they the door is open the price one obol which was a silver coin in with you there is no nonsense no chit chat or trickery here you do just what you like and the way you like you're off wish her goodbye she has no further claim on you later on Plutarch the Roman guy praised Solomon by saying this about Solomon quote a man should consort with his wife no less than three times a month not for pleasure surely 
but just as cities renew their mutual agreements from time to time. Now, the fact that we, they needed this kind of recommendation is demonstration of how dismal the Greek marriage was. Women were not persons. They were not worthy of respect or faithful love. They were objects to be used. Could anything be further removed from what was God's intent? Now, that was Greek. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the Roman belief. The mentality of Greece concerning women was that they transferred to Roman values and beliefs. The Romans did have a divine origin. Now, they believed in Venus, who was the goddess of erotic love, the protector of prostitutes. They also had another one. Her name was Juno. She was the goddess of marriage. But she was a hag. And she was constantly abused and powerless to keep her husband from infidelities. Now, both of these ladies, Juno and Venus, had a deception problem. They were liars. So they weren't exactly the role models you'd want your daughters to you know, model after. But at least Venus was downright glamorous. Now, one woman writer, he said this, if we could survive without a wife, citizens of Rome, all of us would do without that nuisance. But since nature has so decreed that we cannot manage comfortably with them nor live any way without them, we must plan for our lasting preservation rather than for our temporary pleasure. Wow. I don't think he liked girls. What do you think? Okay, now, not only were women demeaned, but children were cruelly treated. It was common practice in the ancient world during that time to expose unwanted children. Okay, have too many kids, I don't want any more, that's it, I'm done. You have a baby, just expose it. Now, there was a historian, his name was Levi, and he, Levi, excuse me, 59 B.C. to about 17 A.D., so you can see where he is in history. And he wrote the book, The History of Rome. And in there, he writes about, records Romulus and his twin brother, Remus. Okay? And these two, this twin was exposed to die by the river Tiber. Now, Romulus made it, and he actually established the city that we now call Rome. Okay? He settled that place. And when he came into leadership, he decided to do something about this activity that was going on, and he passed some laws, which was definitely a step forward when you hear about what the laws stated. But it stated that you, he forced and enforced citizens to raise their male sons. They could no longer expose their male sons, unless, of course, they were born crippled. And how you would know a child was born crippled, I don't know. Crippled or a monster from birth. Then you could expose your male sons. In regards to women... Females, except for the firstborn female, could be disposed of. Okay, so that means that if I had been born that time, I was the third daughter. I would not have survived. Now, during the time that Jesus was alive, we have found some very old writings, besides the writings of, of other folks that we love, the Bible. There were some other writings that we were able to uncover during that time. And there was a guy named Hilarion. He was a father-to-be. And he is writing this letter to his wife who is pregnant. And this is what he says. If good luck to you, you bear offspring. If it is a male, let it live. If it is a female, expose it. So these were in the times of Jesus. Okay. So we say, okay, Clara, you can go on and on. And I could go on and on about the history, both in the Greek and the Roman culture, about how the view of women is so far from what God wanted. But we're Christians. 
Our roots are Jewish. So let's see what God has to say about that. Now there's a huge contrast between the beginnings of women. You know, with the Greek, we have the wonderful Pandora who was created by Zeus to be an eternal curse to man. That was his view. And then we have creator God who creates Eve to bless his Adam and to be a gift. What a total different viewpoint. And God exclaims, something is not good. When he's making everything so wonderful, something's not good. And what is not good is that Adam is alone. Right. Okay, now note that creator God did not create another animal to remove Adam's aloneness. Okay, note that God did not create another man to remove Adam's aloneness. He created a woman. And God, as awesome as he is, admits, I'm not good enough for you. Have you ever tripped over that? I mean, how many worship songs do we sing, you are all I need? <laughs> and he's like, uh, that's not biblical. It wasn't biblical in Genesis before the earth fell. And it's not biblical now as I'm redeeming it. Okay? So God has a different way of saying things. I love that song because I know the nature of it is, you know, I really put my hope in a lot of other things and forget you. But it's not true to who he really believes about himself. Okay, the first three chapters of Genesis, we read about the creation of man and woman. And we read that they have shared purpose and shared destiny. Now, some argue that because Adam was created first, that that means he's more important. Okay, with that kind of reasoning, pigs and dogs would be more important than males. I mean, you have to understand that when you are presenting these kinds of stuff, that you have to go the logical way. So sequence doesn't make importance. Okay? It's what God's design is that makes it important. Now the Bible says God designed woman as a helper suitable for him. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. If you have a Bible, open it up. Because um, it's a good thing to open the word. Okay, the Bible says in Genesis 2.18, a helper suitable for him. Now some for this to mean that man is greater than woman because, you know, she was just a helper. Okay? You know, I need a helper. Mercy, would you help me to make dinner? You cut chop the tomatoes, but I'm going to make the dinner. And when the dinner is all done, everybody goes, wow, Mom, this is a great dinner. Then I said, well, you know, Mercy, help me. She's thinking, I just chopped the tomatoes. You know what I mean? Okay, so sometimes we view this as being, okay, she's just a helper. But as we look at the Hebrew and look at what those words meant, Oh, my goodness. This is why you go to Bible school. So you can read these words and go, oh, my goodness. Like we have missed the forest and the trees and the flowers and everything. Okay, now, the helper suitable is the word ezer kened. And ezer is a very powerful word in Hebrew. Okay, for example, if you're having trouble with chemistry, okay, and you need some help, who are you going to ask for help? You might Google. You might ask your professor, a tutor, somebody who's better at chemistry, not somebody who's struggling, right? That you would tell your college student, son or daughter, okay, do not ask the person who's picking his nose and doesn't know what's going on, okay? Find somebody who knows what they're doing. If you were being bullied at school, 
and you wanted some support, who would you go to? A bigger guy, right? Maybe the principal, maybe the teacher, maybe your dad. My dad was a boxer. He would have been a good one. Or maybe an older brother. You don't go to a peon or a wimp. You go to somebody that is going to be forcefully helpful to you. And that is exactly the meaning of that word easer. A powerful ally. A strong force. In fact, it has the meaning of ruler and czar. Okay, when I found this out, I went, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Okay, and like, you know, okay, Claire, what's the next word? Because the next word really does something to the first. Okay, all right. Okay, so now, when the word Ezer is used in the Old Testament 21 times, 16 times is referring to God being our help, our helper. Do you understand that? When we go to God, it's because we're going to the big guns. You know, we realize everybody else is not helping me. I need to go to the number one, okay? Some of us need to go there more often, more quicker than we do. And in the Psalms, it says there's, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. That's Psalm 121, verses 1 to 2. The one who helps is the one who has something to offer to the one who needs help. God created a helper for Adam because he needed help. Now the second word of the phrase is the kinate, shows the kind of helper that God gave Adam. God qualifies the kind of helper, easer he gave Adam, by putting it next to the word. Okay, he qualifies it. Because like I said, we women could all walk around like this and not have to be teaching a sermon about why guys could lead. Okay? All right, that's what I would have to do, okay? But God's so smart, no, we're going to put it next to this word. And what that word means is equal. Can we all say that together? Equal. Okay. Okay. E was not made to serve Adam, but to serve alongside him. And if God, knowing, I'm going to use this big powerful word that's like me, but I'm going to put it next to this word that is equal. And how we got out of there is a mess. And that's part of what I've been sharing with y'all this morning. And then God created man and woman with great dignity and let them rule over all the earth. And their shared leadership really has global implications. And to make a point, then God says, Bless them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every creature that moves on the ground. An interesting note is the word subdue here is only applicable to animals, plants, and things, not people. God's mandate was for both of them to rule, not just the male. Now, instead of seeing women released and empowered to rule and reign, our history has evidenced a long line of abuse to women and demeaning women. What a different worldview God has than 
than what we see and have seen. But since the fall, women has been devalued, subdued, and treated like something you use or discard. And God's revealed role for women was best and has been lost, not only by Greeks and Romans, but even within the Jewish Christian culture. I want to give you an example from some Jewish practices. The Mishnah. Now that's an oral traditions written by men for men concerning the Torah. So the Torah, we can say, is like the five um, books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, so forth, okay? And then some men decided to write about their interpretations about that book, okay? And that is called the Mishnah. Besides that, it has other things that they've added, like rules and rules. So sometimes when Jesus is saying, you and your traditions, he's referring to some of these teachings that they have been circulating. Okay, so anyway, there, within that book, the Mishnah, there is a section for women, a very, 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 very long section of women for rules of women. Okay, it's called the Siddhar Nashim. And there's nothing equal to it for men. The reason is this, quote, women are known to be more sinful than men. For evil are women, the angel of the Lord told me and taught me that women are overcome by the spirit of fornication more than men. I don't know. Maybe in the last 20 years things have been kind of starting to even out a little bit, but I don't think historically that's news to me. But this is part of the motivation for the Mishnah. Okay, and those rules for women, very long rules for women. Now, in this time, there was a culture, a group of people called the Bleeding Pharisees. Anybody ever heard of that, the Bleeding Pharisees? And what they were, were, you know, Pharisees who go by the rules and the law. And they saw a woman coming down the street. They closed their eyes and kept walking. Before you know, they ran into something and bump, fall down and bleed. Okay, that's why they were called Bleeding Pharisees. (laughs) So you can understand why... We have to cover ourselves up more and more and more and more, <laughs> you know, until all you got are the eyes. That's all. You know, and even the eye, you know, and there was one I didn't put in there about, you know, if you look at her little finger, you're going to be a mess. You know, but I didn't put that one in there. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> so that's why a lot of the rabbis' laws concentrated on trying to harness these women and give them this long list of do's and don'ts of what they could and couldn't do. Now, interesting, Gamiel. Anybody know who Gamiel is? New Testament person. He was the mentor of Paul. And he was very progressive. He taught his, wife, his daughter the Torah. I wonder if that influenced Paul a little bit in his treatment of women when he converted to Christianity. Now, Rabbi Eliezer said, quote, If any man give his daughter a knowledge of the law, it is as though he taught her lechery. Now, I looked up that word because I had no idea. How do you say it? Lechery. No wonder I didn't know it. Okay, it means degenerate pervert. Somebody with high, strong sexual desire. That makes sense to me, but that was what they believed. Similarly... (laughs) The Jerusalem Talmud states, let the words of Torah be burned up, but let them not be delivered to women. You guys, I, you know, when I go into Thanksgiving and prayer, one of the ones that always comes up is, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for leaving it. Thank you that I can read it. Father, thank you, thank you that I have a brain and I can understand your word and study it and live by it. 
And here they're saying, it'd be better you burn it than hand it over to a woman. I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, I'm so sorry this happened. How did this happen? Now, about um, 20 B.C., 50 A.D., so now we're getting close to the times of Jesus. Okay, there was a man named Philo. He was a Hellenistic Jewish biblical philosopher born in Alexandria. Okay, and this guy, he liked to synchronize things. He took the Stoic philosophy and the Jewish exegesis and he meshed them together. He was really known for that, really good at that. Okay, and what ended up happening was that a lot of the early Christians really liked his teaching. Okay, but according to him, quote, the male is more perfect than the female. Therefore, it was fitting that man should rule over immortality and everything good, but woman over death and everything vile. Now, you know, I think this is a little politically incorrect. What do you think? Just a little bit, you know, and I don't really like that term because I think it boxes me in about some things that I have a really strong opinion about. But, I mean, in those times, that was very acceptable, and he was embraced enthusiastically by early Christians. So something went amok. Now, Lauren Cunningham in a book called Why Not Women, which I highly recommend you read. And I, I have a list. I probably have, between articles and books, I probably read between 40 50 books on the topic. Back and forth, this opinion, that opinion, and stuff. But I probably have a top ten list. If anybody would like to know what that is, just send me an email and I'll drop it off to you or send it off to you. Anyway, he says this about um, the guy. Instead of allowing the word of God to shine light on his cultural beliefs, um, Philo bent the word to serve his beliefs. Instead of presenting Genesis 3.16 as the sorrowful description of the, op- of the outcome of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden, he distorted the verse to try to prove that God's will was that women be subservient to men. But the fruit of sin is never the will of God. Nowhere in the Old Testament was there any divine command for wives to be in servitude to their husbands. Now, he's not the only guy who did this. There's a whole bunch of them. Josephus, who's the Jewish historians, did this. The writer of Apocrypha, Sirach, and he wrote this, and he actually just blames the fall on Eve. From a woman did sin originate, and because of her we all must die. Do not sit in the midst of women, for from garments comes the moth, and from a woman comes woman's wickedness. Better is the wickedness of a man than a woman who does good, end of quote. I mean, no wonder the Apocrypha is not considered um, part of the word of God. Now, three centuries after this. Okay, now you had Socrates, we had Plato, we had Alexander. Alexander actually discipled Alexander the Great. Okay? Pardon? Aristotle, excuse me, disciple Alexander the Great. And so see, I really like Kevin because he gives me actually a sense of security because I say things, mispronounce them, and he just doesn't mind telling me. <laughs> I used to do that with my mom, and she was very patient about it. Um, She's Panamanian, so she would say, what are your tots? <laughs> Mom, I don't have any tots. <laughs> I have thoughts. <laughs> I did have tots, but that's not what she was talking about. Okay, so back to what I was saying. Who knows? Okay, so Alexander the Great. So he's extending his control over the Mediterranean, right? Over Egypt and all the way to India, a place that I now love. And he had a strategy. 
But here comes somebody else with a new strategy of taking all of that and more. The person is Jesus, and his strategy is to deliver three-fourths of his army. Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Paul envisioned a world where these class of people would be set free to do his work. Wow. Now there's this one prayer that the Jews to this day still recite. God, thank you. You did not make me a Gentile. Thank you. You did not make me a slave. And thank you. You did not make me a woman. Imagine being a daughter of your father, and he said that. And then your older brother, he said that prayer. And then your younger brother said that. And then your husband said that. Imagine living in that culture. Now, you know, a Gentile can become a believer, right? And a slave can become a free man if it's paid for. But guess what, women? You will always be a woman. And so there's nothing that generation of women could do to change where they're at. And this is the trick of the evil one. You know, if you're in a war, you need all soldiers to be ready. Okay? One falls out and starts screwing up, starts talking when it's supposed to be quiet, it could cause devastation for the whole group. Right? You guys are in the military, they really force this in you. You guys got to be like one unit. And imagine three-fourths of your group, your battalion, being gone. And you're hitting the enemy. Okay? That is nuts. If we're going to get the work done of Jesus Christ, of extending the kingdom, we need our women to be set free. And that was the work of the evil one, to twist these things and use it to immobilize and paralyze women and to cause discord between male and female. It's been his plan then, it is his plan now. Okay. So Paul has to bring down some walls. But we need to understand where he's coming from so that when we go to the passage, we're like, Okay, now that makes sense why he would use that word. Oh, that makes sense why he said it that way because of where these people were coming from. What were their belief systems? You're like, wow, so you just went all through that so that we could get to the passage of today? Yeah, because I want you to get what, what was the world of Paul, what was the world of Jesus when they taught what they taught. Now, when I taught on Colossians, I taught the last time, verse, chapter 3, verse 18 to chapter 4, verse 1. And verse 18 and 19 is this. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands, love your wives, and never treat them harshly. How are we going to interpret these scriptures? What does submit mean? What does love mean? I love bananas. I love ice cream. I love bungee jumping. And what I'm going to do is we look at Colossians. We're also going to look at another passage called Ephesians chapter 5 because they parallel, except one is a bit more detailed than the other one. Okay? So, and actually, Ephesus was, was a letter that was circulated around all 
the church plants of that time. So Paul is a little bit more detailed on Ephesus than Colossians. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 23. And I am almost done. Okay. Quote, submit to one another. Uh, you know what? Let's do this. Gals, why don't you read the first part? And guys, you read from here on. Okay, because this part is for gals and this part is mainly for guys. Okay, you ready? Okay, let's go. Uh, can I have... Is this mic on? Robert, would you come up here? Or do you feel comfortable reading out loud? Okay, good. Okay, when we do the guy one, you read the guy ones. Okay, so we have more of a sense of... <laughs> Where it says husband. You're going to read it from husband all the way to the end. It's going to flip to another one because it was too much. There's a lot to say to guys, apparently. Okay, here we go. Girls, you ready? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church submits to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so as to present to the church himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything of a kind, yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no other one ever hates his own body but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it just as Christ does for the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his wife and join to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery and I'm applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself and a wife should respect her husband. Okay, thank you very much, Robert. You can just put that down there. Okay, now, as an empowered evangelical, I come to the Word of God to yield to it. Okay, I don't come with my opinions and make it work for me. I go to get the opinion of the Word of God and get it to me. Now, to be honest, how clean are we when we do that? That's really honest, very hard to go to the Scripture without your biases and presuppositions. And when I initially went to the Word of God on this topic, I had my presuppositions. Woman has her place, and her place is in the kitchen. That's how I came to the Word of God. And as I studied the Word of God, I started tripping up on some stuff. And I thought, am I alone? Does anybody else think this way? How is this possible? I don't get this. And I looked and I looked, and I found out from 1940 to 1980... All the versions of the Bible that were written in that time ignored the original intent of the Word of God. And it's been since then that we've begun to get newer versions where we're getting back to what the original Hebrew and the Greek meant. And that, you know, I, I was asking these questions early on in the 80s. Okay, and I wasn't, why did I need to buy another Bible? I got one already. All right? 
And so I was struggling. And so you have to know that this is where I came from. That's like me saying, I'm not a vegetarian. I'm never going to be a vegetarian. And then 10 years later, I'm a, like totally vegetarian, right? Like, what happened to her? Okay, and that is what happened to me. I went through the text with my presuppositions and my worldview about women, and I had to take a step back and go, yikes, something's wrong. I, I, we missed it, something. Okay? All right, so I come to the Bible committed to yield myself to the Bible. All of you here are committed to that. Secondly, I read the Bible with wisdom, seeking for what it will do, what I can do to promote the gospel. That is why I'm left. That's why you left. You're left to help others, pre-believers, come to know Christ. Okay, you're not here to get the big apple pie. I mean, to have the big fancy whatever. Three, I come to the Bible to find what is God's ultimate, what will most closely resemble the kingdom of God, because it is the characteristics of the kingdom of God that I'm reaching for. So what do we discover? We discover that whatever submit means, whatever love means, it involves Christ. Okay? All of life must center on Christ. Okay, so as we go to the scriptures, that's what we're going to be committed to. Now, seven times in Colossians chapter 3, verses 17 through 24, Paul refers to the lordship of Christ. And we're going to look at that right now. 17, and whatever you do in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. Verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Verse 23. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it as done for the Lord. 24. Since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as reward you serve the Lord Christ. Now in the parallel passage, Ephesians, seven times in the husband and wife relationship, Paul uses the phrase, to the Lord, in the Lord, to the Savior, as to Christ. It's very Christ-centered. Our relationships are supposed to be Christ-centered. So that means if you look outside the ballpark of the relationship of Christ, we're going to see a lot of perversions. We're going to see a lot of misfires. We're going to see a lot of people hitting targets that are not God's design. Now, attitude of submission, a life of love, is what God expects of us, is what he is appropriate for those of us who want to live a Christ-centered life. So I don't want anymore for women to go yuck when they see the word submit next to wife because as we study that, I want you to go, wow, that is awesome. And if you're not there, it's because you've got some things to learn that are going to bless your socks right off. Okay, now, in Ephesians and Colossians, Paul uses what's called household roles. Okay? When you write a letter, you say, dear so-and-so. Then you write your little letter, and then it say at the end, sincerely, or blessings, or in his love, or see you tomorrow, whatever, your name, right? And there's the date, and you've got this format. Well, in that time, there was a format in Greek letters. And whenever you were going to write a letter of instruction, somewhere in that letter you needed to include household roles. Okay? 
And so Paul is using that format because it's familiar to them. He's writing a letter, but he does his little thing, which Paul always seems to do, just like Jesus. Jesus is telling a little story, and all of a sudden he goes, the Samaritan is the one who loves his neighbor. He's telling that to a guy who hates Samaritans, right? So Paul does kind of the same thing. Paul likes Jesus, and I guess he tried to do what he did. Now, in Aristotle taught that wives, children, masters should obey their husbands, parents, and masters, respectively. Okay? Both passages, Ephesians and Colossians, Paul uses his household roles, but he makes sure that, first of all, we understand that the sinner is Christ, as is fitting to the Lord. Okay? We already saw those verses, right? He's saying, okay, we're going to center this conversation about revelation, re- revelations between men and women on Christ. And then secondly, what he does is he puts some twist in words. And very careful about what words he chooses in order to make his point. Okay. In the Jewish Christian philosophy or history... We understand that women is made in the image of God. I mean, you read that, you understand that. And history has done the opposite. I just want to share a couple of stories. Well, let's see. Um, Okay, I'm trying to gather where to go. Um, Okay, when a woman had a relationship with a man, and she was married, she had a relationship with a man, whether the man was married or not, she had committed adultery. Okay? Make sense? You all can agree with that. Okay? In, in the Jewish tradition, if a man who's married has a relationship with a woman that's not married, not adultery, even though he's married. You got that? So we'll call it double standard. And this was in the Jewish practice. So Jesus comes along and says, I'm sorry, that's not going to work anymore. You're committing adultery when you do that. And the men got really upset. Oh, how's that possible? That's not what we've been taught. It's, well, I'm teaching you the right way. I'm teaching you what God's plan was from the beginning when we made male and female in his image. And so in Mark 10, 11, that's one of the things that Jesus talks about. In 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 4, Paul states that the husband and wife have sexual obligation to one another, not just the female to the husband, but the husband to the female. Let's read what it says. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. The husband, I think it got mixed up there. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. Hmm. For the wife does not have authority over her own body. Yeah, I know that. But the husband does, yeah. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body. What? But the wife does. Wow. A little messed up there. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a set time to devote yourself to prayer. And then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Wow, what a slam. Now, you know, you guys hear this and you're like, yeah, no big deal. That makes sense. It didn't make sense back then. You, you got to, that's why we did all of this study for you to realize these words did not make sense. It was offensive, it was shocking, it was radical. Because if he's going to free up three quarters of his army, he was going to have to help us figure out the way on. 
Now, Peter puts it this way even more strongly as he talks about husbands and wives being joint heirs. 1 Peter 3, 7. In the same way, you husband, give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. That's a little hard to do, isn't it, guys? Randy tells me all the time I don't understand you. And I try. I try telling him. She may be weaker than you are, yeah, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Equal partner. Hmm. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. We have been given New Testament kingdom revelation right here. And God says, I want you to understand this. Because you know what? Women have been wrong to treat their husbands the way they have. Not just men treating bad women. We have put expectations on our husbands to be the spiritual head of the household. And we have left them vulnerable. And then we bad talk them when they don't meet up to snuff. Am I offending anybody? Have we done this, women? Well, you're supposed to be the spiritual leader. I have done this, you guys. There's three fingers pointing to me. When I raised the girls and we did school, homeschool, I would start with, you know, we do a little prayer, a little Bible reading, talk about and that kind of stuff, right? And then it got to a point where, okay, you guys, you need to graduate. You need to start doing this on your own. You start having personal devotions. I can't be holding your hands. You're now 12, 13. Come on. It's your turn, right? But I can't tell you how many times when we went on vacation... I would wait and wait and wait for my husband to do that. And when he didn't do it, I got so mad at him. I mean, what is wrong with him? He's the spiritual leader of this home. And this is with me having the worldview that I was having. My husband is so dead. Why doesn't he know that we need to pray as a family right now? What is wrong with him? And you guys are left vulnerable, not knowing. You cannot read our minds. Have you noticed? <laughs> but we expect you to read our mind. We expect you to be good all the time. And to be the spiritual leader of, of this household. Because you are the head of this house. Now, if there's anybody in this room that has not said that nor thought that, you are of a new generation. You are. And God's going to liberate you. But those of us who have thought this or heard this or said this, God said, I want to show you a new way because I don't want our men to anywhere be vulnerable like that and to be left alone. When God said it's not good for man to be alone, that was part of it. Where is my easer canade? Where is my ruler who's equal to me to tackle this? So you guys may be feeling like slumpy, 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 but I want us to be slumpy, slumpy, slumpy. I want us all to realize we have a part in distorting the plan of God and his original intent. Now next week I promise that I'm going to talk about the word head, submit, and love. And you are not going to want to miss it.
Okay? In fact, you're going to get so much more because of what we went through. So if you know anybody that comes next week and they missed this week's, tell them to listen to it because it'll, it, it, you guys are being shaken right now. You're getting some like, whoa, this is uncomfortable. But it will help you. It will prepare you. Even when we read these verses from Peter, did it feel different? When you read it, did it seem a little bit different? In 1 Corinthians? Well, I had, had never thought of it that way. That's interesting. Okay? So I promise that. Okay, we're going to stop. That's page 17. Pardon? Okay. I will submit to that request. Cheerfully come alongside that request. Okay? All right? And then those of you that are going to miss next week, I will even cheerfully submit to that being on the iPod. I mean the podcast. The reason why I don't like my teaching being in there because I say a lot of dumb things. I do. I switch words. I mispronounce words. Sometimes I say things and I go, on Monday. I wish I hadn't said that, you know. And so I'm not ready to be public. With you guys, yes, because you love me and you talk to me outside of this situation, you know I'm a real person, right? But the people out there don't know I'm a real person. They think I'm a know-it-all or something. And I'm not happy. But those two I will put in there. Okay? Sound good? All right. So now, if you're feeling slumpy, then why don't you just have a talk with Jesus all week long about this topic? Okay? Just, you know, and um, just say, Lord, what's my part? I'm going to learn about submit. I'm going to learn about love. I'm going to learn about head next week. Lord, prepare me and read those scriptures. Stumble over them. Read it and go, uh, this is, that's not what it says. That's not what she said. You know, do it. Do some homework for me. And then next week when we go together, we'll have fun. Sound good? Okay. All right, let's stand. And let's allow the Holy Spirit to love us, empower us for the good works he has for us to do this week. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would fill us with joy at knowing that you're going to live with us for the rest of our lives. And you're going to live with us all week long. You're going to empower us. You're going to be available to us to talk to you about every little thing that's bugging us. Every little thing, Father, that we're worried about. Every little future detail that we need to know about. You're going to be there. And Father, I pray that for my brothers, that they would be liberated through this teaching, Lord. Father, I want to see them intimate with you and liberated, Father, for the ministry call of their lives. Father, my sisters to be liberated, to be intimately involved with you, released for ministry. And so I pray for you to do so much work this week that next Sunday will be just confirmation of what you've been telling them all week. Father, I pray that you would heal sick bodies right now. I pray for Michael, Lord, as he's going to be leaving us, Father, that you would fill him with such joy, knowing that you knew his name these last three weeks in this church and that you knew his, his need. Father, I pray for those who are out of work, that, Father, you would provide the open door for them this week, Lord. We have been waiting way too long for some of the, our folks here, Lord. We pray for an open door, Father, to them. Father, those who are struggling with their children, teenage children, little kids, Lord, and they're not really sure what to do 
to parent them, Lord. I pray you give them supernatural wisdom. And Father, for our singles, Lord, we've got to put through listening to me talk about this stuff. Father, I pray that you would file it in a place that when they need it, they can pull it out and it'll make sense. Father, we love you and we cannot live a day without you. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. If you like some prayer about stuff, please find somebody around you. In fact, you know what? Put your hand up. Put your hand up if you need some prayer and I'll get... We'll direct some people to pray for you. Anybody need some prayer? Not nothing about going once, going twice. Okay, <laughs> awesomeness. I'll see you guys next week. That's you. Bye.